Welcome to the podcast. We do recover with Jared Miller, your host. And I'm Dr. Terry Sellers, your co-host. This is a podcast about addiction, but more importantly, about recovery. We want to talk about what successful recovery can look like. Brought to you by Steps Recovery Center and the St. George Hilton Garden Inn. You are listening to episode 13 of We Do Recover. I'm your host, Jared Miller. Today, I am not joined by your co-host and our medical expert, Dr. Terry Sellers. He had some emergency surgery, apparently, and he will not be able to join us for episode 13, but we wish him well. I am joined, however, in studio by the man that makes this thing possible. We wouldn't even be able to, you wouldn't even be able to hear our voices transmitted through the airwaves if it wasn't for the man, Sean Denovan. Hey! That's all I got. All right. (laughs) And your featured guest is the founder of the Brunel Badassery Foundation. She's an author of the book, The Things We Don't Talk About, and she recently gave a TEDx talk up in Ogden, Utah, Stacy Burnell. Yeah. Yes. This, Hello. Welcome, welcome. This podcast is recorded in sunny St. George, Utah. Episode 13, part one is brought to you by Steps Recovery Centers, where addiction ends and healing begins. Listen, if your loved one needs help, please give them a call at 801 800 8142. Let's do uh, do some check-ins. Sean, what's going on, buddy? We already know Terry's bad and bad, right? He's Well, I mean, he's awake now, now that you called him. (laughs) (laughs) Hopefully he gets feeling better. I can't even imagine. What's doing good with you, Sean? Uh, I've just been doing some motorcycle work. Working on my motorcycle. I got some uh, army ammo cans, and I made them my saddlebags. Nice. So that that was my big project. Way to be inventive. Nothing special, just, you know, a little tinkering on the weekend sweet sweet so i I, i'll go with the new and good yeah yeah tell us so yeah my new and good this week is uh i was able to get stacy brunell down here and me and her went yesterday to steps recovery centers and she gave an amazing talk in steps it was fantastic she's the real deal she had him laughing one minute crying the next i mean it was it was it was a beautiful thing Stacy, what's new and good with you? New and good is that I'm here in sunny St. George. Got out of the, it's been getting pretty chilly in Ogden. Has it? Yeah. It's starting to cool off? Yeah. Yeah, it's that time of year where it snows right around the corner. I know. I joke that in the shade it's winter and in the sun it's spring. It's that time of year. <laughs> like you could just go around the corner and be like, oh, am I wearing a sweater or am I wearing shorts? I don't know. Right, yeah. right. The weather changes throughout the day too. Yeah. I always remember when I lived up north, it was cold in the mornings. Hot in the afternoons mm-hmm. and then cold again in the evenings. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Good old days. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming. You know, I really appreciate you being willing to come down here. A lot of people like you that are Utah famous, you know, when we first talked to them about coming on the podcast, they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. When push comes to shove, they don't always make it. So thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. And thank you for calling me Utah famous. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, anybody that gives a, a TED talk, you know, <laughs> up and coming. So... You have, you've been through kind of a journey. A little bit. Yeah. <laughs> and like the Miller Motivation Group, my tagline is tragedy to triumph. Yes. See, Stacy Speak has a tagline, which is? Failure to finisher. Failure to finisher. Yeah. And we're going to get into that. First of all, let's just find out who's Stacy. Like, talk to us about your family, husband, kids. What's, yeah. what's going on in? So I am happily married. I've been married to Dusty for seven years. Shout out to Dusty. <laughs> and we have uh, a 24 year old daughter. She's married and she just had our second grandbaby. So I got two little littles. 
Nice. And um, then I have a 15-year-old son. He's my autistic son, Hayden. And then we have an eight-year-old, Eli. And yeah, yeah, so we're... (laughs) We're very spread out with the family. We're busy. Yeah, you're a busy lady. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Well, cool. So now that we kind of got to know you a little bit more, talk to us about, I, I love what we talked about kind of before the podcast, right? This podcast is about addiction and about recovery, but I've always said addiction is the end product of a mental health struggle. Mm-hmm. I truly believe that, right? There's there's a dual diagnosis there. So I love having you on because you can bring the experience and talk to people about some of those struggles through some of the things that you've went through. Every story has a start. Where does it start for Stacy Brunel? Yeah. Well, man, um, my journey, you know, I think as a kid, I had a, what I thought was a pretty normal childhood for most of my life. And then as I became a teenager, um, I started experience abuse. My dad uh, sexually abused me for several years and that was obviously a big um, kind of a, I, and I didn't recognize it at the time as trauma, but it was a traumatic event in my life. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't even imagine. Yeah. Um, and then uh, as, and then my parents went through a divorce, which was kind of another layer of trauma. And then uh, as a junior in high school, I got pregnant and that was, you know, kind of another, I, I placed that baby for adoption. So my journey was, it was rocky. Yeah. So to what, what, at what age did your parents go through a divorce? And you, are you, were you born and raised here in Utah? Where was, no. where was home for you originally? I was a Navy brat. So okay. yeah, I was, I was born in New Jersey and we moved all over. So we lived in, we lived in Long Beach, California. We lived in Cuba and it was like every year my dad would get stationed somewhere else. And so it'd be like, you know, we were moving all over. So, um, Virginia and then South Carolina was actually where we landed for the longest. So South Carolina grew up in the South and that's where I went to middle school and high school and graduated. Okay. Yeah. At what age were you when, when your parents went through a divorce? Well, the kind of stuff hit the fan. Okay. I'm going to say stuff in place of what I would usually (laughs) say. (laughs) Uh, When I was in uh, sixth grade and then we, my parents actually stayed together for a while and tried to work things out, which ultimately they couldn't do. So I was in the end of seventh grade coming into eighth grade when my parents finally split and uh, we sold our house that my, my family had built together and my mom moved us into a single wide trailer. Oh, and man, it had to be yeah, hard. Yeah, it was very hard. When you look back as a kid, was, was that really hard for you at the time or did it just kind of seem like, well, this is normal? I mean, what? Do you remember any emotions that were going through you at that time? Uh, it was it was pretty hard. My mom was putting herself through nursing school, and so it was my older sister, and then me, and then we had two younger brothers, and so a lot of the caretaking fell on me and my sister, and you know which was fine. I mean, it was just kind of like we had to do it. Yeah. So it was you know I think we matured in a lot of ways very quickly. But yeah, moving from, we had, you know, we had been in our neighborhood forever and had all our friends there. And then we moved into this single wide trailer and there were six of us. It was my mom and, and five kids. And, and 
we were, we were like sardines, right? We were in this, in this <laughs> can and, and it actually had put me in a different school boundary. And so I was like, oh. yeah. And I, so I went to this new school at the start of eighth grade and I was there for the first week and I came home to my mom and I was like, I don't make me do this. Like my life already sucks. And she was able to get me a boundary exception so I could go back to at least, so at least I could still be in school with my friends. Yeah. Yeah. That's important. Yeah, absolutely. So Going through school, you go through this traumatic event. You kind of put it out there as you got into high school and stuff. Tell us about that period in time in your life. What did high school look like for you? What were you involved in? I was a band nerd. Get out of here. Really? <laughs> I don't know. the. Yeah. Okay. I know. people. I think people would have guessed that I was like a cheerleader or I don't know, some other... I think band's cool. Hey, like, I was cool. in choir. Yeah. I was the tin man in a play in junior high, believe yeah. it or not. So that's cool. If I could have, if I could sing, I would have been in the choir, but <laughs> I had to play an instrument because that was, yeah. But yeah. Very I was, nice. I was a clarinetist. In fact, I was, I, in eighth grade, I was the first chair clarinetist for the state of South Carolina. So it was kind of a big deal. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You've been a trendsetter since you were little. I know, right? Sean, have, have you have any experience, you know, with bands or in choirs or plays or any like we we did a garage thing for about two hours and realized that we sucked that was about as far <laughs> as a band thing that we did i mean we spent more time trying to come up with a name than actually practicing <laughs> and i think that's with every band when you're 14 that's awesome but that's I, had my, awesome. I had my 12 string i'm like yeah i have a 12 string you know how to play it no but i have a 12 string <laughs> there you go See, being a, I wouldn't say band nerd, right? It's cool. It's cool in its own sense, especially if you're uh, doing the garage thing, right? I can see you as a heavy metal guy, Sean. Okay, so let's get back on track. Sorry, I just went left field real quick. So you're doing the band thing. Got some friends, right? Some good people around you. Yeah. At what point did you find out that you, uh, you had a child? So it was my junior year and I was actually the drum major of the marching band at that point. So, and I grew up Mormon. I grew up LDS in South Carolina, which is, you know, if, if you're familiar with being Mormon in Utah, it feels very normal to right. be of the dominant religion. And in the South, it was the exact opposite. So we were, uh, People already kind of thought we were weirdos. Okay. <laughs> and yeah, had, yeah. you know, they had lots of preconceived ideas about Mormonism. And so I already had kind of that going on. And then I was the drum major and my sister, who's a year older than me, was the valedictorian. So she was this shining star of our high school. And all of a sudden, here I am. I got pregnant and uh it was pretty scandalous. It was it was juicy gossip. Yeah, it was a high school high school drama, right? Yeah. I can see it. Yeah. So there yeah, talk me through that. What did that look like for you as far as how did that affect you? What was your first thoughts like? Um, I was very scared. I was very scared to tell my mom. Oh, I could imagine. Yeah. I uh and and I was embarrassed and I was ashamed, right? Yeah. Like I it's one of those things like we can make mistakes in our life and they're not all going to become super obvious like we're going to wear it like a scarlet letter. Right? right. Yeah. Great point. And, uh, I, my idea was that I'm just going to hide this and not talk about it. And hopefully no one notices. <laughs> <laughs> Wishful thinking, right? I know. And I almost made it. No, I, I, yeah, I, it obviously got out. I mean, people, 
people noticed. And uh, one day I walked into a, the bathroom and someone had written that I was a knocked up hoe oh on the bathroom stall door. And I saw that and it, it hurt like it, that kind of, yeah. it's a gut punch. Yeah. I could imagine. It's one thing to not quite know if people know, right. But when you see it in writing on a bathroom stall, yeah. it's like, oh boy. Oh, I guess they know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that period of time, I'm sure, was super difficult for you. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, what what became of that? So I had actually decided that I was going to place this baby for adoption because, you know, remember, I'm living with my mom who's, you know, she's a single mom at this point and we're in a trailer and we're poor. I mean, we were broke while she was putting herself through nursing school. So I had actually found the couple. My, my mom actually worked with the woman who, oh, wow. yeah, so, so I became friends with them. They, they would call me every month, you know, during my pregnancy and they'd be like, what are you craving this month? And they would take me out to eat and oh, God bless them. Yeah. And I loved, like, I loved them. I, I was so happy that these were the people that were going to be raising my baby, you know? Yep. So I, uh, so it, because of that experience, um, of seeing my name written on the bathroom stall door, I decided I did not want to come back to high school, but I also did not want to be a dropout. So I, uh, I found out that I could graduate early. I could take summer school classes. I only needed two credits. And uh, the, only, the only issue was that I could only miss two days of classes and still be able to graduate. And my due date was actually at the beginning of July. And so I was like, I don't know how I'm gonna swing this, you know, like take summer school and have this baby that I'm placing for adoption and graduate. Um, but I jumped in and I, and I was like, well, I'm gonna see what happens. So I ended up going into labor on a Wednesday night and, um, I delivered on Thursday and, oh, wow. um, yeah, didn't, I, I was so far along by the time I got to the hospital, like I couldn't even get an epidural. So, I mean, I was like, that baby I, was coming. I was hardcore. Like, yeah, this baby was coming. <laughs> and the adoptive couple was already there. Like they got to the hospital before I was even there and they were with me the whole time. And they were, you know, obviously so excited. And, um, then the, lawyers came the next day and, um, yeah, I was, I was holding my son in my wow. arms while I was signing away my rights. That's gotta be one of the hardest things you've ever been through. Yeah. 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 I could imagine. That broke my heart and, um, yeah. And then went home that weekend. I was pretty much in bed crying with my mom the whole weekend. And, um, and then I went back to school on Monday and that was how I graduated. So it was graduation the very next, so it was, I actually, so that was, I had him on June 23rd. So I was back to school, whatever that Monday was. And then, um, graduation was like at the beginning of August. So it was about, yeah. Did, did you get a lot of people asking you about it? I mean, how, how Oh does, yeah. And you know, the, sure. and the funny thing is, so in that program, because I was with a bunch of other students who they were graduating early for other reasons okay. and, and a couple, you know, like one of the girls is like, I'm, I want to get married. And, and I mean, these were, we were young, we were teenagers. I yeah. was, I was 17 and, um, we, so we were all in kind of unique situations. Some of them were, had already had kids and there was it was kind of interesting because when I told people with other uh, students that I had placed my baby for adoption, I got a lot of like, why did you do that? Because back in the day, that was kind of, if you were a teen mother, if you got pregnant as a teen, like you would just keep it. And that would, you know, be your life is that you were a teen mom. And 
So it was kind of weird to me that so many people, and I felt, you know, I felt that guilt. I mean, it was already so painful and I felt that hole in my heart when I, you know, when we drove away from the hospital, he was in his little car seat with his mom and dad. And I just like that moment of driving away and knowing I'm never going to see him again. It was, I mean, heartbreaking. And, and then people were like, well, why'd you do that? And it was like, <laughs> like yeah. I don't know, like maybe I made a mistake, but I mean, it was because I was doing what was best. I was doing what was best for him and I was doing what was best for me at the time. So, which takes an amountable, uh, a, it takes a huge amount of courage to be able to do that, right? To be able to be, look out for your son more than yourself and give him a, a better chance at life. Yeah. And we'll kind of get into that in part two. And I know I'm excited for that because you got some amazing things to share. Before that though, how did that affect you moving forward? I, so that combined with my abuse that I had never really fully addressed, um, it kind of wrecked me and I didn't, sure. I didn't realize it again, like these things that you just don't realize when you're young. Yeah. And I, I look, I was so hard on myself back then because I felt like a bad person. I felt like I had made a mistake. I had, um, I had sinned. I was a bad person. And that idea of being a knocked up hoe. So it created this, I mean, all this shame around that. So it was not something I did not want people to know. I wanted to, you know, shelve that part of my life. I didn't want to talk about it. And, you know, when you carry these ideas about yourself being less than, it makes it really hard to connect. It makes it hard for yeah. you to feel like you're worthy of love. And so I carried all of that weight very, very heavily. And, you know, I, I started I started drinking because I, I was hurting so bad. And that was, I, I remember I, I drank a six pack of Zima Back in the day, if you remember Zima. Okay. Yeah. Nasty, nasty beverage. <laughs> <laughs> Sean's laughing. Obviously, Sean remembers Zima. I think Zima is the, is the white claw of the 90s. Oh, was yeah. It? yeah. It, was, it was horrible. It was, yeah. But that was because I didn't drink beer back then. Because, ugh, beer oh, was, no, 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 no. But Zima, too yeah. Local. But Zima, I could <laughs> handle. And I drank a six pack of Zima and I pretty much... I remember that I was giddy and I was laughing and then I blacked out. Okay. And and that was kind of, but that experience, you know, after the next day, after I was done being hungover and I sobered up, I remembered thinking at least it muted the pain. It muted the pain for a short period of time. Yeah. And I'm so appreciative that you shared that because trauma always equals, right? substance abuse back to what I talked about originally people don't wake up and go hey I think I'll just drink a six pack of Z you know nasty tasting Zima <laughs> and know. you know for no reason most of the time I mean maybe if your kids and you're just trying to experiment right but but most of us there's some type of trauma that leads to that yeah so at that point you started drinking right so self-medicating mm -hmm. did it grab a hold of you like it does for those of us that identify as an addict or was it something that you were able to handle on your own <sighs> At that point, I feel like that was the start of a downward spiral. Okay. Yeah. Talk I, to us about that. I, um, so I got my first job at a movie theater and everyone at the theater partied. And so it made it very easy. Cause again, I was 17, I was underage yeah. and, uh, I had older friends. And so it became a regular thing for me to, um, 
to escape my pain, to, you know, go with my friends. And so, you know, in, in your head, you're like, oh, this is fun. I'm doing the, you know, all my friends are doing it and it looks so fun and we're going to do these things. But for me, it was like, and I can forget that, you know, these years of pain and these horrible things that have happened and the, you know, these bad feelings about myself, I can kind of wash them down. I can wash them down and wash them away. And, you know, and then I wake up the next morning feeling horrible and I'm, you know, vomiting and I'm saying, oh, I'm never going to do that again. And until and the then, next weekend, until rolls you around. do it again. Yeah. It's a vicious cycle. It, it can is become a vicious cycle. Yeah. I also like that you shared. So, uh, blue Robinson coach blue came on and he talked about anything that follows an I am statement is absolute truth. And when you shared the, um, kindest remark of Stacy is a blah, blah, blah. Right. It kind of sounds to me like that identity, you pulled that in as an identity, mm -hmm. which I, I'm sure was super hard in and of itself. And so I think a lot of times when we're younger, we don't know better to just blow that stuff off and not let it become a part of who we are. Because right. during those, during that age group, a lot of what other people think about you, you base your self-worth yeah. or your IMs based on that. Mm -hmm. Do you, is that connect for you? Do you feel like there's some truth in that maybe? Absolutely. Yeah. I totally, you know, I identified as, um, as being tarnished and, and, you know, I think too, with the, with the religious piece too, there was kind of this idea that, you know, we have these goals to, to be chaste and to be virtuous and, um, you know, to get married and, and, and do all these things. And, and there's this, uh, this idea of purity around all of that. And I felt like I didn't have that. And so I would never be able to be that thing that you're told all your life, this is who you are and this is how you're supposed to be. And so now I was the exact opposite of that. And I was dirty and I would never be good enough to, you know, have that, that life. And yeah. And that's yeah. Good. all those things are great standards, right. To have, Unfortunately, I think I, what I'm perceiving is you felt like you didn't fit in with either crowd, right? right? Because your whole life you grew up LDS were in your out in North Carolina where the culture is not that like we have here in yeah. Utah. And so you can't really connect with people outside of the church because they know you as LDS. And so you're already a little weird, right? Yeah. <laughs> and yet people inside the church now, I'm assuming know of kind of some yeah. trauma things you've been through. Mm -hmm. It was obvious, as you stated, some mm -hmm. of us can hide our dirt easily than others. So I'm sure that was really hard for you as far as being able to, to find where you fit. Yeah. So as you got older, I understand you went to school. Seems like this kind of attached on and in, in you struggled with it for a while. Yeah. Always the feeling of I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. And and it manifested in all of these ways over the years. And so that's why, you know, when I when I speak to that failure to finish her story, uh, I I would start college. Right. I, I and then I would drop out and I did that three times. You know, by the time I was 31, I was like I was a three time college dropout. And, uh, and I got married and then I got divorced and then I got married and divorced and did that three times. And I'm like, I'm a mess. I like, because I, I would second guess my decisions. I would feel like, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not good enough. I, I can start something, but then I would never finish. Yeah. Yeah. That, that feeling like you're not good enough, right? Like you don't, you don't quite belong kind mm -hmm. of that imposter syndrome, maybe. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. We're going to get into Stacy's story of how she was able to come back from her rock bottom that she just shared with you in part two. For those of you that are listening, thank you so much. 
Also, you can check this out. We are now on iHeartRadio. We're on all major podcast platforms. Thank you so much. I, I just want to take the last minute here in part one to express some gratitude. A couple weeks ago, I got a, a notification, Sean, on our email that we had officially hit 2,000 downloads. So people people are listening. We must be bringing some some content, something, some different stuff that people can relate to. So I just want to express my gratitude to some, some people that make that possible. Obviously, Tyler Hansen with Steps Recovery Center, all the amazing people there. I also want to thank Dr. Sellers, who's not here with us today, for coming on. I want to thank you, Sean, for, for being able to make this thing happen for us. And then every one of our guests, really, to take their time. They don't get paid to come on here. Take their time to come on and share their message of hope. It's not easy to pull your guts out, right, and expose all the hard things that you've been through to be able to make it to this point. So thank you so much. For those of you that are listening, we're going to wrap up part one of episode 13. Stacy, where can they find this book? My book is available on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. And anyone who wants to reach out to me directly, I'll sign and send a copy. Check her out. She's on social media at See Stacy Speaks. Stay tuned to part two, where she's going to talk about her bounce back from her rock bottom. You are listening to We Do Recover with Jared Miller and co-hosted by Dr. Terry Sellers. We'll be right back after this short break with more of We Do Recover with Jared Miller, sponsored by Steps Recovery Center and the Hilton Garden Inn. I'm Desmond Lomax, one of the clinical executives here at Steps Recovery. And once you become of the Steps family, you're just a part of the Steps family. A lot of us have overcome substances, overcome addiction, and now we're able to help other people. Second of all, we're also gonna help you in a way where you can afford to be helped. Third of all, we're gonna give you the same quality that many organizations are charging two to three times. And it's more about you than it is about our organization. We welcome you back to We Do Recover with Jared Miller, co-hosted by Dr. Terry Sellers. Brought to you by Steps Recovery Center and the St. George Hilton Garden Inn. And now with part two of our podcast, Jared Miller and Dr. Terry Sellers. You're listening to episode 13 of We Do Recover. We are featuring Stacy Burnell. This is part two. Episode 13, part two is brought to you by the Hilton Garden in St. George. It is always sunny and bright at the Hilton Garden in St. George. If you're traveling through Southern Utah, give them a Google search. Just type in Hilton Garden in St. George, Utah. I promise you won't be disappointed to have amazing amenities. In fact, our featured guests stayed last night at the Hilton Garden I in, right? I did, and I was just gonna say they were awesome. They, in fact, you know, I got, I got in early and I was like, oh, they're probably not going to let me check in. And it was like, they were like rolling out the red carpet for me. So I appreciate that. That was awesome. That is, that's. That, love the Hilton Garden Inn. I love hearing that. Love hearing that. They're yeah. pool, did you get a chance to jump in their little pool? You know, I was going to, and there were a bunch of kids and I know this is so mean, but I was like, <laughs> I'm so happy to have a little break from kids right now. <laughs> I bet. I bet. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to, but I went for my bike ride instead. So it was all good. There you go. You lived in some serenity while you could yeah. have it. Yeah. Huh? <laughs> that's awesome. So in part one. Stacy Burnell, who is the founder of the Burnell Badassery. She is the author of this book, The Things We Don't Talk About. And she recently gave a TEDx talk up in Ogden, Utah. I'm just, I'm looking at this, I'm looking at this book and it's quite the, it's got a picture of you mm -hmm. and it's got some labels on there. Yes. You talked about in part, in part one, the knocked up hoe. Yep. Daddy issues. Yep. Trailer trash. There's some different stuff on here. That is quite the 
That's pretty brave, Stacy. Yeah. And those are all literally things that people have either said about me or to me. Wow. And, uh, you know, when I was thinking about what I wanted for the cover of my book, I, this idea was just, you know, how we can, cause I'm also wearing this purple party dress Yeah. and it's the idea of how we kind of mask these painful, hurtful things. We can, you know, the world can see this, you know, we look fine on the outside when we really have these, these, these hurts, this pain that we carry. Yeah. Yeah. The unaddressed traumas mm -hmm. maybe. Stacy's amazing. I love bringing people on that don't hesitate to share their dirt. And Stacy talks about it in a little bit different ways. We're going to get into it. She's got some three C's she's going to talk to you about, but she came on and in part one, she bravely shared the things that she's been through. And I know, right. Just like yesterday when we went to steps and we shared, and I'm not going to give anybody's anonymity away, but there were some people in the audience that I know for a fact connected with that. And it, it, it's a beautiful thing. And you talk about that. So you talked about your rock bottom. Was there an actual rock bottom? Like, do you remember a time just to wrap up part one and transition into yeah. bouncing back? Yeah, I had years of some not good times, but there was very specifically one night and it was in November of 2009. I, that, that was the night that I, I really, I wanted to check out. I, I thought I'm done. I, I am so tired of hurting. I'm so tired of feeling like a failure. And I felt like a horrible mom. I had just gone through a horrible breakup, a horrible relationship and breakup. And I, I drank a bottle of wine. I um, made a really hot bath. I found some pills in my medicine, medicine cabinet that I took. I have no idea what they were. I took some pills and then I drank another bottle of wine. And I thought if I could just slip under this bath water, if I could just slip under in oblivion, that would be great. Yeah. And obviously I didn't, but you know, I, I got out and I, I was lying on my bathroom floor and just, that was my rock bottom because I had an autistic son that, and I had lost custody of my daughter. And I was just thinking, you know, am I going to leave my, my kids or am I going to pull myself out of this, this dark place. I love it. You found your why. Yeah. In that dark moment. Yeah. You found your why. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about that. That's, I think what inspired the Burnell Badassery Foundation. You shared in the, in part one, part of your family, you have a son. Mm -hmm. Talk to us about that. So Hayden is autistic and he was diagnosed. It was right around, like that was part of that that rock bottom is, is, um, I was a single mom raising this special needs child and feeling like I'm not enough. I'm not enough. I can't, you know, I'm failing him. And, uh, I, I, I was like, I have to do better. Like I, this, yeah. yeah, this can't be, you know, the idea of not being able to put a roof over his head. It was one thing, you know, at that point it was bigger than me because it's like, you know, if, right. if I'm moving out of my car, but if I, I can't be dragging my special needs child into this. So, um, I, decided to go back to school. I went to, it was my, now my fourth attempt at college Fourth time for anyone keeping track. It was my fourth <laughs> attempt. And I, yeah, I finally, I finally graduated and, um, just that, well, so I got to back up a little, I ran my first marathon in 2009 and that was the game changer. That's so when I talk about failure to finisher, it was crossing the finish line of a marathon changed my life because then I started thinking, 
I can do hard things. If I could do that, I could do other hard things, which that, you know, ultimately led to me going back to college and, and then just kind of from there, what else can I do now? Yeah. So you're, you're, you have this fallout, right? This rock bottom, you're in the process of picking yourself up from your bootstraps. Mm -hmm. Why a marathon? Like I gotta, (laughs) I I just want to know, like, did somebody say, Hey, you should run a marathon. Like how did the marathon come about? So I was, I was actually, I was actually waiting tables at a, there's a restaurant up in Layton called Roosters. Oh yeah. I've eaten there many times. I love Roosters. So the owners are amazing people and they had relay teams for the Ogden marathon. And so this was actually in 2008, they had me run the, the first seven miles of the Ogden marathon. And I was not a runner at that point. Like I went to the gym and I exercised, but I was not a runner. And I, I, so I did the first seven miles and then we get on a bus and it takes us back down through the Canyon and to the finish line. And when I was standing at the finish line, watching the the marathoners come in, I was like, I want to do that. And you like, you got to remember, like people are crossing the finish line and they're like, like nipples are bleeding and people are vomiting (laughs) and it's not a pretty, it's not a pretty picture, but the triumph the, that sense of accomplishment, like you can feel that you can see that. And I just was like, I want to, I want to do that. So I started running. And so I I did like a 10 mile run and then a half marathon. And then I came back in 2009 and I did, I conquered my first marathon and I was like, okay, one and done. Like I'll just do one. And that didn't happen. But, but it was, yeah. You got addicted. I did. Got it. I, hooks in I did. Yeah, I love it. I did. But you know, the funny thing is, so there was a book and I referenced it yesterday in my presentation. There's a book called the body keeps the score. I love it. Yeah. And, and it's Bessel van der Kolk is the author. And he, he talks about how, how our body, um, deals with trauma and how our brain is rewired due to trauma. And when I read that book, I, it was like a manual to like, someone had said, here you go, Stacy, here's like all about you. And I was like, oh my gosh, but one of the things that he talks about is um, a lot of marathoners have gone through trauma and they, they need this. There's this piece about kind of the pain of, of doing that and yeah. the adrenaline of doing that kind of, you know, replaces these like chemicals in your brain that happens. So anyway, I'm like, huh, that makes sense. <laughs> you know what I love about that actually? So I'm, I'm going to school at EVU to get my SUDC, right? Substance abuse disorder counselor. So what you're talking about is EMDR. Right. It's, it's a base, it's a research deal where some people do it differently. Some are through eye movement, some get out and exercise. Right. But it's basically going through the emotional process through some type of physical interaction. Mm -hmm. And it's crazy because as you're talking to me about this, like it's just popping off my head, like that's EMDR. And she discovered it without even knowing it. Yeah, It's crazy. So, so you finish your, sorry, let's give it. All right. So you finished your first marathon. Mm -hmm. How was that a game changer to you? Because now you've actually started something and boom, finished it. Yeah. That's when failure to finish her really took hold. That's when she was born. I, I really didn't have any idea that I was one person at the start of that. And I was a different person when I finished it. And so even, you know, after that, when I, when I told my mom, I was going back to college for the fourth time, she was like, "Mm, I don't think, (laughs) I don't think you should do that. And I was, I'm like, what? School's a lot of money. She's like, school's not your forte. And And I'm like, well, and I honestly said to her, well, this time's different because I'm a marathoner. Like it was was like, it was totally cheesy, but it was true. It was a new I am. Yeah. Like now I have this new sense of self was, I really think the biggest thing that I I can do hard things. I can, you know, all those years I felt like I'm not good enough. I'm not good. Yes, you are. Yeah. You can do anything that you think you can do. Yeah. So, 
That's awesome. Okay, so that was the birth. That was the birth. That let's let's transition into how do you go from sure you you ran your first marathon. It was a game changer for you. You got this new sense of self, this new I am statement, something positive you can hold on to. Mm-hmm. At what point did you start to dive into you finished school? I want to give you that credit. Mm-hmm. At what point did did you start to dive into I know what was it at eight years old? You became a award-winning speaker in eighth grade. I was an award-winning speaker. <laughs> so, so at what point do you transition that into the Stacy Brunel that we know today, the the author, the foundation? And talk to us a little bit. Let's start there with your foundation, right? Yeah. So uh, there's like this is all these things that have just really happened in the last like three years was when I really kind of like. Poof, kind of blew up with these all these different ideas and it it all kind of happened with the speaking because I, I did my first presentation in 2017 and from there got the idea to then I'm going to write a book and um, <clears throat> yeah just this idea that like I can share parts of my story I can share parts of my past and it's helping other people yeah <clears throat> sorry I got a frog in my throat you're good but um, so th- so with the nonprofit the way we decided to create that is we do have an autistic son and in 2018 I was seeing on Facebook that there were a bunch of autism awareness walks happening throughout Utah in Salt Lake and Provo and Logan, but there wasn't anything in Ogden. And someone said to me, well, why don't you do an autism walk in Ogden? And I was like, okay, why not? Like, why not me? Do I need to ask permission from anyone? Like, why not? So I very haphazardly threw together this event and we had like 20 people that showed up and we just walked around 25th street, but it ended up getting us like a little bit of media attention. And, um, I decided for 2019, I would really actually put some time and effort into it. And we created a a much bigger event for 2019 and had, uh, we held it up at Weber state and we did, um, we did a screening of a documentary about autism and we had like 14 vendors and we had about 300 people that came to our event that year. And that's amazing. Yeah. And, and what happened was people were coming in. It was a free community event. We had gotten um, sponsors and, and um, the vendors were all coming for free. And so, you know, people were coming to the door and they were like, well, where can we donate? And I'm like, what do you mean donate? Like we don't, they're like, well, we want to, yeah, we want to, you know, do you have a cause or something? And I'm like, no, but you know, like that's not a bad idea. There you go. And, uh, so we, and and prior to that, another thing is when I do my speaking, I connect with a lot of people, obviously, you know, I, um, people who kind of resonate with my story. And in the fall of 2018, I had met a student who was going through a really hard time. And, um, I ended up becoming pretty close with her, you know, having some really deep conversations with her. And one of the things that she was dealing with was that, um, she didn't have a car. She, and she was 23 and she had guardianship of her seven year old niece. And, you know, she's trying to finish school and she didn't have a car and together with a group of friends, we, I was able to, we raised a bunch of money and we got this girl a car. And I mean, this car, it was a Saturn that was like as old as she was. And (laughs) she loved it. She loved it. And, but kind of the same thing. So we were now doing these things and raising money, but money was coming into my bank account. And that made me very uncomfortable because I want there to be transparency. I don't want people to ever say, what is Stacy raising money for? Like, it's not for me. I promise I'm not Christmas shopping or whatever. Right, right. And so, so after that, and then after the autism event, we were like, let's get official and let's create this nonprofit. And, um, the Burnell Badassery Foundation, first of all, I was worried that the, um, like, 
the IRS would say no, <laughs> like would not approve that name, but they did approve that name. And so our, you know, our mission is that we want to help people who are they, on off and on the autism spectrum who are trying to improve their lives and they need a helping hand along the way because man, do I get it right? Like, especially as I was a single mom and I was getting through college, I definitely had a ton of help. I did not yeah. get to where I am by myself. And so, um, man, like if we can just in small ways, help people in their journeys. Um, yeah, that's, we, we want to be able to do that. So, and even if, if sure, it's great to be able to help somebody raise money to get somebody into a vehicle. So obviously listeners by now have probably realized that me and Stacy are friends, right? I know <laughs> Stacy pretty well here. So you, you also, I love the story about your son, how a lot of people would say like, you're, you're weird. Right. And, mm -hmm. and you took that negative mm -hmm. and was able to turn into a positive. Yeah. So even if in, I'll let you share, but even if it's that, right, even if it's raising enough money to be able to spend time or give these people avenues where, where they can take maybe some social situations and turn them into a positive thing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So you know, there, there is certainly a stigma around, um, disability and mental illness and, um, autism. If you are familiar with autism, you can recognize it fairly easily. You can, you can kind of tell, and I, I know I certainly can. It's even just seeing a random person walking down the street, but like they have, they often have a lot of, um, commonalities. Yeah. And so you'll see like, if they have like noise canceling headphones on, you know, we might see that and be like, Oh, what's that person doing? They look weird. And in my mind, I'm like, that person is probably on the spectrum and probably has some sensory disorders. And you know, it's, yeah. and, and so the more that people can, can see that and, you know, be kind about that because man, I worry about my kid every day. I, and we worry about our children anyway, but with him, you know, being, being on the spectrum and, um, being a big kid. And if he, if he has a, a meltdown, it looks scary. It looks, right. you know, it looks like he could be dangerous and I know he's not, but the, your average person might not, you know, they could perceive him as a threat. And so, you know, I, it is my, one of my life's missions is to make the world a safer, better place for him and other people like him. Yeah, that's a beautiful thing that ties close into to me for multiple reasons. A couple of them I'll share. My dad was a special ed teacher and man, he, yeah, there's some people that have patience and, and can see the beauty in that and make it a beautiful thing. Also, my girlfriend, Mandy is a special ed teacher down here in Washington County. So yeah, that's, it's amazing. I love the foundation. So at what point in, did you decide, talk to us a little bit about the book you go and you start giving speeches and somebody randomly says, you should write a book. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In, in 2017 at that first event, this guy was like, you should write a book. And I said, why would I do that? Like no one would ever read my book. Like who cares? And he said, <laughs> he said, you never know, you never know whose life you could help by sharing your story. Yeah. And it's just planted this seed. And so I was like, okay, like why not? And I, I had a blog that had like five followers. So like no one was reading my stuff, but I just started, um, just started writing more and started, um, instead of publishing on my blog, I started sending it out to different publications and I ended up, you know, autism parenting magazine and, um, HuffPost. And, um, there was, I ended up getting published in quite a few places. And so I was like, okay, well that's telling me that at least I'm not a horrible writer. So, yeah. um, 
yeah, so I just started writing and then it was actually last year I finally was like, okay, like, am I doing this or not? Cause I've been saying for two years, gotta commit. I know I'm writing a book, I'm writing a book. And finally I'm like, okay, I'm just going to do it. And, um, I self published on Amazon, which is actually relatively easy. Um, you know, watch a lot of YouTube videos and figure out how to do stuff. But yeah, I, I put it out, I put it out into the world and it was terrifying. It was terrifying. Cause like in my first month I sold over 200 copies and I was like, Amazing. I'm like, that is 200 people who know like my dirt, like, you know, yeah. everything like <laughs> I'm, were inspired. I'm by like, your I dirt, feel like I'm Stacey. walking around naked, <laughs> but, but you know, what was amazing was that my feedback was really, really good. And people who, you know, I worried about, um, even, even talking about my abuse and the fact that I grew up LDS and kind of the the way the situation happened with that, I was really worried about how my LDS friends would take that. Sure. And they embraced me and I, you know, they, they understand and they, they totally get it. And so where I was so worried, like, oh my gosh, I might lose friends over this. It was the exact opposite. And because my story is not that unique, unfortunately, and a lot of people can resonate with that and, and say, you know what, I had the same or similar experience or they knew someone who did. So, you know, that's how, again, it's this idea of we're so disconnected. We think we're disconnected because these things happen. But then when we talk about it, the, the things we don't want to talk about, people resonate with that. They are, they, they are drawn to that because they're like, yeah, like I get it. And you're one of the people, you know, willing to have the conversation about it. So absolutely. And look, there's one thing about just, uh, being sappy, right. And kind of the, the pity. And sometimes when I get haters, they'll, they'll give me a hard time about it. you know, another sad story by Jared, but they don't get it right. Because it's no longer sad anymore. When I share my story of, of addiction and being homeless and a suicide attempt, it's not to get people to feel sorry for me. It's to go, look, if I was able to go through those things, just being an average guy, there's people that are going through them as we speak mm -hmm. that need to hear, mm -hmm. that need to hear the message. Mm -hmm. Too many times when I was going through the stuff I was going through, it was disheartening because I thought if I'm going to be a janitor forever, if I'm, if this is going to, if I'm going to have to ride the bus forever, like, and there wasn't a ton of people that had long-term sobriety because they'd kind of moved on in their life and they'd put that behind them and they'd swept it under the rug or put it on the shelf as you put it those messages need to be told. Yeah. They need to stand up and say, you can do it. You can, you can go through it. That's what this podcast is all about. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. And you've turned it into beautiful things. So we're winding down on time here, but I want, I want you to talk to us about the, the three C's. Yes. What is cultivating a pearl, Stacy? Uh, okay. So the three C's in order are clarity, cultivating pearls and communication. And these are, these are just ways that I, you know, I talk about harnessing your inner badass. Um, Got it. Clarity is, is knowing your why. And you know, we've kind of touched on that a little bit today is, you know, my kids in my rock bottom, my rock bottom, my why was my kids, yeah. um, which I think many people can um, connect to that. And then cultivating pearls is really my take on how you can take your bad experiences and turn them into something beautiful and, you know, using our, our pain for purpose. And so for me, you know, that, that I held this idea about myself being a, a knocked up hoe, being a bad person. Right. That was how I identified for so many years. And it, and, and when he was 23, so when my birth son was 23 was the first time I publicly shared his story. And I said, you know, the pearl that I have created that took 23 years to create is that I'm a birth mother and a birth mother is beautiful. That's how I identify, not as that, you know, bad person right. who did a bad thing. And, and that's what, you know, I, I tell other people, 
look, think back to your past, think back to maybe things, even things that you've done that you've hurt other people, you know, and obviously things that have happened to you as well, but how could you take those negative experience experiences and shift the perspective and be able to see them as something beautiful as the end result? Yeah, that's huge. And that's a game changer for those people that don't know why we call it cultivating a pearl. How does a pearl come about? Yeah. So, uh, an irritant gets into a mollusk. It's usually like a grain of sand. Okay. Gets into a mollusk, and the mollusk is trying to protect itself from the irritant. And so it is. It this um, scientific reaction is triggered, and it starts coating layer upon layer of mother of pearl around this grain of sand. So, so we that, could call the grain of sand mistakes. Yes. Okay. And um, and then when it's cracked open, that pearl. That's, you know, the years and years of you've been trying to protect yourself. You've been trying to, you know, disconnect from this hurtful thing. And then in reality, it's something beautiful and, and precious. I love that. I love that. And we're winding down. We got two minutes left, but I also want to talk about what was that? There's a picture with these balls that have been broken and yeah, I so think you could squeeze that. Yes. In? Okay. Kintsugi is um, this Japanese art form of um, when if something breaks. So if like a ceramic bowl or something breaks, when you reconstruct it, when you're putting it back together, rather than trying to hide or camouflage the breaks, they actually will um, put it back together using gold epoxy, because in that way they're emphasizing the breaks and making the piece more beautiful and unique in the end. And so you know, it's for me, I did it as kind of this therapeutic healing. Um, process but it's so representative of ourselves like we we can be broken and we will be broken but it's okay to you know when we put ourselves back together to emphasize the broken parts we don't need to try to hide them yeah and you're an amazing example of doing that taking the things that you've gone through sharing them helping heal and making it a beautiful thing thanks you're amazing for those of people that are listening where can they reach out to you i I know you're a paid speaker you're worth your time trust me (laughs) Where can people get a hold of you to to line up a speaking engagement or to, to do a webinar? Yeah, I'm I'm all over. So C State, my website is www.cstacyspeak.com, and I'm on all the social media under C Stacy Speak. So that's awesome. Yeah, cool. Find me. Definitely get a hold of this lady. She is a game changer. She can. Uh, yeah, yesterday it just blew me away. You got them going from laughing to tears to. A lot of times people don't like sharing, right? And I don't think there's a single person that didn't share. They were amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. You You are, yeah, just absolutely amazing. Be sure to join us next week for episode 14 of We Do Recover. And hopefully our uh, (laughs) co-host, Dr. Sellers, is is getting some some R&R. Thank you guys so much. We'll see you next week. Same time, same place. Thank you for joining us today on We Do Recover with Jared Miller. Help us spread our message of hope. Like, comment, and share. If you have any topics or ideas for future shows, please share that on our Facebook page. That Facebook page is We Do Recover with Jared Miller. If you or a loved one needs help, please reach out to us. Again, thank you for listening. Brought to you by Steps Recovery Center and the St. George Hilton Garden Inn. This has been a production from... A podcast studio.